Here's part two of my conversation with Chris Falkman. Enjoy. That all said, you know what's, you know what's fascinating about that though, and and just to continue on your little trajectory here, mm-hmm. but so you know this maybe doesn't speak to the um, the the re kind of vamped versions with the, all the CG, you know, banthas and all that kind of stuff. But my so when my daughter first watched Star Wars, we back when we had cable, so this was a long time ago. Um, what's what's cable exactly Uh, we used to have a TV in our bedroom and I was in our bedroom folding clothes and Empire Strikes Back was on TNT you know they used to play it or TV had one of the shows Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. they used to play all the Star Wars movies and um, the one that would they would like play all three yeah they would like but they and they would even play the prequels you know they would Uh like marathon it all day and um, and so I just was flipping channels and I landed on Empire Strikes Back and I'm in there Folding clothes, and my daughter was maybe three, and she was like peripherally aware of Star Wars. She knows she what it is, like. She knew the toys from her friend, and so she was curious, but she'd like never, she'd like seen a book or how, something. How old was she? Like three. Okay. Yeah, and I'm sitting there full, and my wife was like fairly adamant that she wasn't ready for Star Wars yet. Like right. she didn't want her to be scared or have nightmares or whatever. And um, so I'm folding clothes. And after some time, I kind of turn around and I just see my daughter kind of like peeking around the door, you know, to the bedroom. And I'm like, how long have you been there? And she's just like, a while. And I'm like, do you want to come in and watch? And so she kind of like slinks in and gets under the covers of the bed, like pulls them up right under her eyes, you know. And she just Tell sits there. if she doesn't she, like what she sees. I said nothing. I just like let it happen. <laughs> And she's sitting there watching, and I just keep folding clothes, and we keep watching Empire Strikes Back. And, I mean, after a good amount of time, so at least a third of the movie, if not longer, my wife comes in, and she just kind of sees the scene, <laughs> and she's like, what, what's going on here? And I'm like, she just wanted to watch. So, anyway, they, both of my kids have a considerably stronger connection to the original trilogy than the prequels. They've because all the because dad would have them on or because no, it was they on had cable. they had equal sort of access to all of those movies mm-hmm. but the ones that they gravitated towards the characters the just the their emotional connection to the movies were always um it was uh you know the first one a new hope and empire mm-hmm. it was those two movies mm-hmm. which in my opinion are the best two movies but and i just think that that's fascinating that even, you know, with the, you know, kind of newer versions and all that kind of stuff, that they, as, like, as really young children, kind of attached to the magic and the storytelling and the things that, that we all attach to so many years later. Um, and that's true of a lot of things. And so I think that that's bringing it back, I think, to the conversation, you know, and, and this applies to whether or not you remake something or if you just sort of let something live, um, or do you do a director's cut, or do you allow the thing that went into the public consciousness just sort of exist? If an audience is connecting to something, 
You know what I mean? Like that is often a result of the things that you've discovered along the way, not the sort of like puzzle you put together in your head. It's like what happened between A and B. And there, it's like intangibles that happen that create, you know, these sort of connections and little breadcrumbs that people can follow with that story. And that's like universal, you know, and kids aren't more interested in something that looks like it got made in 2019 than they are that something got made in 1977. Like, uh, Swiss Family Robinson is one of my kids' favorite movies. Oh, yeah? I love that movie. Oh, weird. Major inspiration for Star Wars, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, they, um, uh, so when we went to Disneyland, they were pissed that it was not no longer <laughs> the, the Swiss Family Robinson treehouse, and they were like, Tarzan? Uh-huh. Who gives a shit about Tarzan? Right, right, so, right. It was, um, so I just think that we have this. That's sort a tire, of like, tiring we, climb, by the way. Yeah, it is. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, we're not um, here yet? Oh, man. They, I think that we don't give uh, the sort of newer generations enough credit for just good storytelling. Right. And I think that we feel like, you know, maybe at a corporate level of entertainment that we need to make something current in order for it to continue to live on. And... Um, I just don't believe that's true. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, that's, those are great points. I think that's something that uh, always, you know, everyone's always trying to be a little more unique and stuff. And I gravitated towards film that yeah. way too, making sure that like when we went out as a family to go rent movies and stuff and my dad would be like, all right, we're going to get three. Like, he already has his, which, like, you know, in the mid-90s. Terminator 2 just came out. This is yes. what we're going to watch. Like, I don't know. If that's rated R, Dad. Mom says I can't watch yeah. it. But we kind of already had that relationship that you were just talking about, too. Right. It was like, I will go to sleep, but if I accidentally crawl up the stairs yeah, and, like, yeah, peek yeah. around, I can watch it, too. Um, and then, you know, my sister and my mom would pick something a little more family-friendly or whatever. And then I would just go find something random that I saw. Like I would, I would pour over some of our uh, movie rental places had like pamphlets and books, mm-hmm. um, and they would like call out things like, oh, blah blah blah, the blah 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 uh, anniversary edition of Seven Samurai and stuff like oh, yeah. that. And it, it, like, oh man, I keep hearing these things. And whenever we went out to like uh, bookstores, seeing magazines on films and stuff, the blah 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 classic. Of this, that, and the third. So I would try to find these weird, uh, bef- you know, before the internet was that big kind of thing, uh, these classic films that I was supposed to, a bri- uh, what is it? Uh, Lawrence of Arabia and stuff right. like that. So yeah. just keep hearing, just to keep hearing that, like knowing that these were classic films that people would always want to see, Citizen Kane, things like sure. that. Uh, as like a nine-year-old trying to like look for that and then watch it to say that I watched it and know like some of the surface level stuff but missing a lot of the deeper level meanings and whatnot mm-hmm. uh, was a very interesting uh, thing that we we're talking about. But to bring that back to what you were talking about is that it is just basic storytelling sometimes. That's what's timeless about it. Right, yeah. right. And, and even though I didn't understand like... Uh, Kurosawa's filmmaking, I knew that, oh, look, these guys who were hired by somebody else who don't know what they're doing now is going to help save a village because they don't have anything to fight for. Right. Uh, 
and they like sacrifice a lot of them sacrifice themselves to help these other people out yeah and it's a three hour long thing and then like as I got older now I'm able to see uh, some of his blocking and his oh, totally. and his framing and the cinematography yeah. and like mm-hmm. uh, timing and like sound editing and shot selection like those things are are crazy different now and those are things that I can see and appreciate um, but you were talking about it and it was like yeah ultimately it's a story and I think uh, we keep talking about it and I hate to make this a Star Wars sure pod but that whole idea of that's what these films were they were meant to be family films and Lucas taking a bunch of beats from his favorite films and saying yeah. this is for this is for kids yeah which is the, always the funny part to me when adults go that deep and uh hardcore meaning and like is it good is it not good these are family films stop thinking it's that deep sometimes yeah. well yeah exactly and not to to not to you know divert into like a you know indictment of last jedi but i think right. that that's my one of my primary critiques you right. know what i mean <laughs> right it's like yeah you were talking about not caring about some of the other stuff it's like well this is this is for you know yeah our kids generation and stuff like if they're at, having fun they're, at the end of the day like if you are if you think about making something um writing a story or a song or you know creating a song or whatever you're really as an artist looking for a an outlet to express a certain amount a certain emotion for yourself or a certain story for yourself or something that, something that you're feeling and even if you're like you know a genuinely happy person that's looking to tell a very a fairly dramatic tale and in order to do that you're reaching deep to kind of find that place and that connection so that you know then the things that you're creating feel grounded in something and believable to you Mm -hmm. so your goal really i mean if you simplify it it's it's i think chiefly to kind of um find and come to terms with those feelings in a certain way you know so it's kind of a selfish act like creating is really you know, in a yeah. lot of ways, a kind of a selfish act. Yeah. Um, secondary to that, or kind of like connected to that, is Pat uh, is taking your audience along for that ride, so that they really come away with the same emotion, so that they come away with the same sort of like sense of um, you know joy or sadness Wonder or release, or, or they understanding. It, it, they can sort of take that. And the basic connection and apply it to themselves. You know, um, they can hear that song about a breakup and it makes them think about a certain thing. I have a very specific connection to um, the song Crying by uh, Aerosmith. Uh-huh. And it is tied to... The music video? Well... Because <laughs> that's what I... That's a separate... Right, you know, when we're talking about... Yeah, okay, go ahead, go the early 90s Aerosmith musical music videos are uh, formative for a certain generation <laughs> oh, <yeah>. of men. <laughs> I would agree. But um, what are these feelings of yeah, feelings? Yeah, exactly. Actually, more than that, the uh, the cold-hearted snake music video, Paul Abdul, the David Fisher, oh, I think Jesus. that was the first time where I was like, oh, <laughs> girls. <laughs> right. right. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> but... Um, no, I I, was, uh, I think I was a little too young yeah. seeing those and like, what is going on? My sister would tape uh, MTV. Okay. And so she would have these like 
two, three hour blocks of, you know, music, music video. videos. And, um, and, and we held on to those for a long time. And so by the late 90s, we still had like this archive of music videos from like 1988, Solid. 1989. So and good. it was just, you know, some of the music that came out in the music videos of that time were just very like, you know, I mean, everything from like Rhythm Nation, Rhythm Nation to like, you know, fucking Taylor Dane. You know what I mean? I just have like a, a very fun, you know, relationship to that kind of that era. But no, the Aerosmith thing is I, you know, I got dumped by my seventh grade girlfriend. And right that be- was right song. before a dance. Okay. Oh, dang. Yeah, oh, it was rough. And, uh, and that song came on at the dance. And this is the sappiest thing I think I've ever said out loud. <laughs> but I have this like emotional connection to that. Now, this isn't like, this is Aerosmith. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't like some deep, they're, you know, they're not trying they're making pop records. Right, you know what right, I mean? Right, right. But like, you still create these connections, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, that is a timeless sort of thing. When we talk about movies that age well or last forever, or just sort of have this sort of timelessness, it's, it's, um, it's that technique doesn't get in the way of that fundamental sort of, you know, uh, bridge that gets built between the thing and the audience and a lot of the things that we make now um i think and this has always been true you know what i mean styles change and you and movies get set in a certain sort of time you know like if you go and look at you know the movies of the early 2000s and they all have like a monochromatic palette Mm -hmm. and it looks very obvious that those movies were made in a certain time you know but the things that kind of, I think that w- what we do a lot now is um, we undervalue uh, those sort of truths about, you know, what makes something kind of stand the test of time and what, what is what is the most important thing. Um, and too much of it, as much as I can kind of geek out on whether it's Star Wars or, you know, blockbuster movies, you know, I, I'm... I, enjoyed myself thoroughly at Endgame and loved the I'm just fascinated by everything that Marvel's done. So much of everything that we do is just kind of spectacle. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And even in music and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. sort of like it's this I don't want to say superficial because I think that that's not <clears throat> placing enough value on on the things that people do, but it is um it's broad, right? And things that I think, like, have you? Did you see the long shot? The oh no, Severus movie. Nobody did. Like no one went and saw that uh-huh. movie. It bombed. Uh huh. But because it, it was anti-programming for uh, Endgame, Endgame, I guess. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess. But like, it got great reviews. I love Critically, all, yeah, I love Louis Theron. Right. I love Seth Rogen. I love romantic comedies. I like laughing. You know what I mean? Like that sounds like a movie I'd love to see. You didn't see it though. Well, no, and that's a. I mean, that's a problem. It's like we don't go see movies anymore. But that's right. a different subject. But it's it's those things don't have the audience that they used to, you know. And and I think a lot of that is what kind of corporate entertainment knows that they can do and sort of how they can kind of position things and that there's just not space for that. I have an opinion on why we don't go see movies anymore, but I think that would be another uh, pod down the line. Um, Just switching gears a little bit. 
the things that we've talked about have been based on like the living art stuff has been based on really old things. So we mentioned like uh, Fleetwood Mac or like, I don't know if Aerosmith ever re-recorded stuff. <laughs> or, um, Star Wars coming out with their different things. Like you mentioned, there is a version, or we both kind of mentioned, there is a version that we like gravitated to and like grew up with. So it, it matters like to preserve that version. Mm-hmm. Let's say something like on the, the newer end. So the, the uh, Kanye West, regardless of how people feel about him now, <laughs> I know when one of his last albums, uh, The Life of Pablo or whatever came out, um, because I, I think this the culture also obviously plays a, a huge part in it and where, where we are in technology and how we are able to access and share mm. Some of those things. It was really important that we all had cable growing up totally. to watch these music videos because that was the only way you could watch them. That's and how you found a lot of music. Yeah, but you also didn't get you don't really get a choice in what's going to play. You just had to hope that that one music video that you really liked was totally. going to come up. Yeah. Um, whereas now, you know, I can you can pull out your phone, you go to YouTube, search this thing, and then play it over and over and over. Right. Um, so, the life of Pablo. At the time. Who is it? Jay Z's uh, streaming service title. Yeah. Uh, they had exclusive rights to certain things. So, right, right, right. Um, the Life of Pablo released on title, and it sounds a certain way. And people are like talking about it because you have to have a subscription to that. And some other people are like, "I'll wait," because everybody knows that it'll it'll come out to the other platforms at some point. Right. Um, and they're taking notes and blah blah blah. Some time passes. Hey, it's on iTunes. Yeah. Wait a second. Track three sounds different. It's yeah. mastered differently, or they added uh, some new vocalizations, or whatever. And then a couple months later, now it's on Spotify. Hey, wait a second. This track has also seen like uh, Frank Ocean isn't on it anymore, yeah, yeah, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And it's like this other guy completely. Um, but that becomes like the definitive version. So now you go to title, and it's the version that just came out on Spotify. So they yeah. they actually took. Out a ver- draft uh, it was sort version of like one. A, launching a movie at a film festival and then changing the cut for theatrical release. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you get a bunch of people who there there are movies that are uh, critical darlings in the festival scene. Yeah. And all of a sudden they don't do well when they're out, and it's because you took you switched. Somebody there's a movie that just came out that did something like that. They switched the order of the film mm. as well in the cut because it was great in the festivals but a lot of people had issues with a certain arc so they yeah. thought they could just switch it around completely yeah. and then yeah. put it out theatrically and it didn't work at all yeah. and it bombed in the box office and critically for those who saw it when it was released theatrically is is it different when we're talking about new art that's coming out now with the technology and the culture that we're in in that you can kind of pick and choose you can go out and see what you want when you want it um, and knowing that like <clears throat> there are so many other things vying for your attention. So that's, you know, if we're talking about the whole yeah. movie going experience, it's because oh wait, I got Netflix, I got Hulu, I got HBO, I got yeah. uh, all these other things. And like, while we're not, we don't have cable, which kind of, we just do, sit. we just have it in like a million different. Right, right. Forms. But yeah. cable in the traditional sense that we know, it's right. like, okay, I know I like MTV because I want music videos. But if you watch MTV now, there's a lot of reality shows and, you don't get those music videos, but you have 
apps and websites like Vivo. Mm -hmm. And you can go like, well, I just want to watch Frank Ocean videos. Yeah. Or I just want to watch Kanye West videos. Yeah. Or I'm just going to search out that exact video that I'm talking about or whatever. So is it is it fair for new art now to be able to change what they do and like edit it on a day-to-day -day basis, on a week-to-week -week basis? I mean, is it okay? I suppose, sure. It's their I, art. I, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's their art. I think that what, I mean, I know with Life of Pablo, for instance, that he, I mean, he and Rick Rubin put that album together in like a matter of days. Like mm -hmm. he like flew out to Malibu or whatever and just like was writing songs on the fly and shit. I mean, that's just in, a, in Rubin's car yeah, trip. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and that's like a, a, I mean, and that's a process and an experiment and like, you know, have at it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think the festival, like the festival example, you know, is like, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you go and you, test screen things and people react to things or, or don't understand something as clearly as you do because you you're so close to it and then you can kind of react to that and try to make it better and I don't really have an objection to that I think that what um, is maybe a problem is if the idea with access to technology and everything that we have like if the idea is um, speed and consistency that like you have to if you're a musician that you like got to put out you got constantly got to be putting shit out uh, you know a lot of musicians that i know they they make their money off of streams mm -hmm. you know what i mean so sure they might have a record that did really well and that that gets a lot of streams and that's a good baseline but like every time they put out a new piece of music they get a bunch of hits and that's like a new source of revenue and so it creates a different pressure for them to be putting out music at a, at a higher frequency than what we were used to, you know? And I mean, sometimes that might mean it's not as polished. Sometimes that out. might mean, that might mean that it, there wasn't as much time to consider something, you know, to really kind of, or, or to, um, you know, formulate kind of what your perspective is of this piece of work or what it represents for you. And it's just sort of like the pressures of the machine making right. decisions for you rather than um, letting it be more of an organic process. Yeah, so I think that that is tough and and not something that I necessarily have to deal with, though I do know, at least for me, you know, when there's not enough time to do something or when a client of mine is asking for something that's sort of brought in at the last minute and it's sort of breaks from the consideration of this or whatever and it just you know that those things are really tough to mitigate and that's what that's the best work doesn't happen that way mm -hmm. you know what i mean the best work doesn't happen on a like with a gun to your head like you know racing towards the finish line you know right. what i mean i think that there's a, a deadlines are good and and sometimes like like magic happens you know in the but it's um but that's there's gotta, be a, far there's gotta be a balance there between, you know yeah. there's gotta be enough time to like really consider and, and think about things right. so but we're also in a new day and age right so like you're you're kind of used to that yeah. i do find it interesting uh around when the internet was coming around and like you could find these random sites i was a huge fan of like it was like coming soon.net or something yeah. like that yeah. just to like movie development oh everyone just saw the matrix is like 2000 or something like that y2k uh and it's like, uh, met, uh, quietly, the studio announced uh, the sequel in development. 
um, but we don't have a release date. And like those things were, it was like, ooh, I know it's coming, but I don't know what's going on. Whereas now it's like John Wick 3 just came out and then, you know, after the first weekend, they're like, hey, John Wick 4 come in uh, yeah. June 5th, 2022. 20, yeah. Everything's got to be a franchise, man. Yeah. And it's like, what? Whoa. Like, what, what about the time to like finish this press tour like relax and yeah. let Keanu and the creative team like do their own yeah. other things to then now you know the pre-production stuff do you have a draft has it been like has it gone through some revisions and yeah. stuff like that what are you planning to do story-wise do, do you have your team together who's gonna be you know yeah. and so that's like an interesting part here but is that just where we are nowadays versus if you're a creator with some um you know uh credibility behind you like nolan you know he's famous for his like one for me one for you kind of thing that yeah uh is he still on this whole like all right warner brothers is gonna be like okay we need something by 2022 now or i mean i don't know that he yeah i mean i think that somebody like that is dictating process he's at this point he's dictating the process like he's just he's one of the few filmmakers right now that's like just getting to make what he wants. What he wants, but he is also one of the few filmmakers that crosses, that is making original stories that do well at the box office. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that shit just doesn't happen anymore. Like, people went and saw Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. And people went and saw Interstellar. A lot of people went and saw Interstellar. Um, he obviously got off on the right foot with, you know, he did movies before Batman, but, like, Batman... Like was, Memento. Like Memento, yeah, exactly. Or... Um, the movie in the snow with Al Pacino that's kind of an underrated movie um, Insomnia Insomnia yeah uh, and Robin Williams yeah very good Robin Williams yeah. performance it was great that was the yeah. whole like wow this guy can yeah. do drama and like right. suspense too yeah yeah yeah. so you know he kind of he was able to very few people kind of find themselves in that position and of like the new crop of filmmakers like he's really kind of you know one of the only ones that that is in that position but um him, Paul Thomas Anderson, but nobody, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson movies don't make money. Like that's totally. where Christopher Nolan is different. You know, like he he makes large scope films, yeah. and people go see them, and that's right. that's well, yeah. It was like the he had to do the Dark Knight Rises before he could do Interstellar or something. Yeah, like that, right? totally. Yeah, but um, I mean, I think that still, like, when part of the ma- part of the decision of making something is that you again have to have a deadline, and so, um, you know, I'm sure that when Nolan gets something greenlit, then that comes with an air date and then you have to work backwards against that. And that's not, that's not a negative thing, I think. But, uh, you know, if you're just deciding that you're going to do John Wick four because you're going to make a bunch of money and, but nobody has a good idea about John Wick four, that's (laughs) where like bad, that's where shit, you know, kind of goes awry. That's where bad. That's how bad movies happen. Oh, so, you know what I mean. Yeah. So that's how you ruin franchises, yeah. beloved. You know. Yeah. Uh, IP. Yeah. Exactly. Transformers. Yeah. How dare you? You know. And I only, I only have probably like another. It's seven minutes, but um. You know, one of the things that I have been thinking about as we've been talking is we were early on in the conversation talking about director's cuts. <clears throat> and if you look at commercial director's reels, um, the vast majority of them are director's cuts. And 
most of that is because you know what a director values is different from what a brand values and it's fairly rare that those two things like you know align in a way that a, a director sort of walks away and says I'm you know, completely this satisfied. Was perfect. yeah um, and that's kind of a that's problem the nature, in a way but then also the nature of the beast kind of thing it's kind of the nature of the beast um, and sometimes it's little things it's like the brand needs to put an end tag on it that pushes some you know product and that's like just and so you just take that part off and you end it with a logo and it's a little tighter you know right. and that's fine that's something different um, one of the directors that that is represented by the same production company as me um, is currently working on a project that has been a pretty frustrating process for him and he said something about you know if I if I this this thing that he's doing will have a lot of visibility and a lot of people are going to see it um, and you know at one point the conversation was like well you can always do a director's cut because he's pretty frustrated with how it's evolving and he's like you know I I could do that but who's really going to watch that this is the thing that's going out into the right. public, public consciousness you know what I mean um, and I and so it feels kind of like a failure you know what I mean and like I totally identify with that I have director's cuts obviously but um, every time I do them I feel like I somehow failed to push the thing or or marry those two things that that you know brand and story didn't compromise well enough the yeah, first time well, around or that I just wasn't able to find a creative solution that made um, a really great ad you know what I mean that if I'm doing a cut it's because I feel like the thing that went out there isn't good you know what I mean if I felt like it was good then I wouldn't I just leave it alone mm-hmm. um, and I suppose you know people that are remaking tracks or you know directors cuts of movies or whatever they feel at some point like they were um somebody got in the way somebody cut out a scene they felt was necessary or somebody but i think that what's always important for us to remember is that that people react and picked up pick up to things much differently than we do you know or what your intention or what our intention was and um you know there's a uh, one of my favorite music video direct, well directors in general but she has done a lot of music videos her name is Emily K. Bach and she did uh, the Lord Yellow Flicker Beat video mm-hmm. um, which is very good and uh, and I really love the cut that went out into the world and that was the first way that I found it and you know was very inspired by it um, and then uh, some time later I saw her director's cut and I was like, well, that's not as good. <laughs> you know uh-huh, what I mean? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that's not a disrespect to her or whatever. It's like, I've just, I saw the thing that she was clearly unhappy with, like enough for her to do her own cut, which a director's cut on music videos of like, that's, you're trying to say something, something, right? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Um, Cause nobody makes money on music videos. Right. Let me make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> you could do a Beyonce music video and you're not making any money. Um, but it's, uh, uh, you know, so, I just think it's interesting that like she put out this thing that like everybody myself like so somebody who's very close to the process and and can be pretty critical um the public you know everybody really loved it's a great piece of work and then but it didn't align with exactly what she wanted to do and so she put out her own cut and that's totally fine Mm -hmm. like i you know her prerogative and i'm not you know i she felt like she needed to finish that thought you know 
Um, or say what she needed to say. Yeah, or just sort of like, you know, see how it went. You know, like, I think it, I meant for it to go this way. Let me do that and put it out there and see what happens. Like, totally fine. But it's just kind of interesting that, like, that it, it, it not only didn't feel necessary, you know, but it didn't necessarily, it just was, it was different, not better, in my opinion. Right. Um, and... As a consumer. Of as a consumer. Of and, you know, and a, and a, you know, kind of... Fellow artist. Fellow artist, yeah. yeah. But, um, anyway, so I just think that, like, that kind of goes back to the root of your question of, like, is it okay to keep messing with things? And I think that if you, I think that if you are, you know, this kind of selfish act of creating, if that's a thing that you feel is necessary, that you need to kind of like, it's kind of like everything's tight and you're, you, you got to exhale. You know what I mean? Like if I don't do this, then I'm not finishing this thing on my terms. Right. Then great. Do it. Doesn't mean that anybody else is going to give a shit, but it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? If you're doing it because corporate entertainment suggests that the new wave of people require that to, for that IP to live on, please don't. <laughs> I guess is my sort of like, you know, uh-huh. the summary of my opinion. You know? All right. <laughs> cool. I think that's a great place to end. Thank you, Chris. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that's it. Big thanks to Chris for being a guest. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen to your pods. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at TurboGeeksPod. Thanks, and be kind to one another.